Howdy, folks. Welcome to episode four of The Russia Guy. Today is Tuesday, September 26th. Today I'll be discussing two stories, two events. Uh, the first one is a conference on disinformation that took place at the Atlantic Council. I think it's actually s still happening as I record this, but I watched one panel and I'm going to talk about what I saw. And the second event story that I'm going to discuss today is a very funny, amusing uh, uh, court case out of uh, Izhevsk in Russia involving Navalny and a suit against the city for denying him a protest permit. I hope you enjoy. Howdy, folks. I'm trying something a little different today and recording a bit earlier than normal. Usually I have been recording just before I go to bed, which might account for how tired I sound a lot of the time. But uh, today it's about 5 p.m. on Tuesday, September 26th, so it's a bit earlier in the day, and maybe that means there's news that's yet to break. I don't know, but uh, I'm not going to put it off until bedtime today, so if that if it sounds a little better or a little worse, that's the reason. The first story that I wanted to talk about today was a event that occurred at the Atlantic Council, and it was a, there, there was a whole day of uh, disinformation-related panels, but the one that I watched was moderated by BuzzFeed's Miriam Elder, and it included Peter Pomerantsev, uh, Thomas Ilves, I believe is how you say his name. He's the former Estonian president, and uh, Edward Lucas. And there was supposed to be a congressman named Joaquin Castro, but he was a no-show, or he's on the program, but he didn't. they didn't mention his absence as far as I noticed, but he wasn't there. So it was the three uh, speakers that I just mentioned, and then... Miriam Elder was the moderator. And I tweeted throughout the entire panel. It lasted about a little over an hour. And you can look, if you follow me on Twitter, you can look, and if you're, if you're interested, you can look and see what everyone was uh, talking about. I would say that uh, uh, Edward Lucas, uh, the senior editor at The Economist, and also apparently he has a position, he's a senior vice president at the Center for European Policy Analysis. He's a decorated guy. Uh, he seemed to be the most moderate of the three, I would say, although Pomerantsev also didn't strike me as particularly militant when it came to, I don't know, policy recommendations or even his assessment of uh, the Kremlin's reach, although he's apparently been doing lots of research on Kremlin. He didn't like the word meddling, uh, which is kind of surprising given that he authored the paper with Michael Weiss about the weaponization of information. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's a complicated issue. He's an articulate guy, so I, I'm sure he has his reasons for not wanting to use the word meddling, although I, I didn't quite pick up on it. But there's a lot of crosstalk, so I think that's probably just something I missed. At any rate, he's been doing work on, German, um, on uh, Russian intervention in the German election and their activities on social media and political targeting and so on. And sounds like he's been involved in lots of interesting stuff at the London School of Economics. And, you know, I don't know if he's put out anything yet on this, probably not since the elections just occurred. But probably there'll be something, you know, interesting about that that that, uh, that he will write. He's a polemical figure, obviously, but uh, not the most so. But, you know, he, he people, people have opinions about him, but he's an excellent writer at the very least. So presumably what he will come out with will be worth reading. Um, Edward Lucas, his uh, his big takeaway or the, the takeaway I had from his remarks is that uh, we don't know we don't yet know enough about how political uh, how these political 
targeted ads worked because we don't know enough about how people consume social media and news on social media. And he was suggesting that if we're going to be pouring money into anything, it should be learning more about that rather than jumping to step 20 and, you know, trying to draft countermeasures or who knows what. And so I found that to be a fairly reasonable and moderate approach given the sort of uh, hubbub mayhem of late arguing that, you know, the U.S. needs some kind of unity of mission and, and we need to involve the military and the way that we organize our information response to this, you know, Russian Goliath and so on. And then uh, uh, Thomas Ilves, Thomas Ilves, I, I'm sure I'm butchering the name, I apologize. The former Estonian president was, I think, the, the most hawkish of the three on the panel. And at one point, uh, he he said that the European, he, at one point, one of the questions from the audience was, why is, why is the United States doing everything to fight Russian dis- disinformation? Why isn't Europe kicking any money into this? Uh, kind of sound, a little bit sounds like a you know, Trump criticism of, uh, of, of the European community. He didn't like that question. He suggested that the U.S. isn't actually doing that much, and all you get are a few civil society uh, events like the one he was at today at the Atlantic Council. And he also multiple times pitched uh, the German Marshall Fund's Hamilton 68 dashboard that claims to track Russian bot activity. And uh, Ilves, the Estonian president, uh, was very adamant about warning of the threats, warning about the threats posed by Russian bots. And he kept saying that uh, Russian bots were promoting the NFL story about, you know, kneeling for the the national anthem, and I don't know if his if, if the argument there was I don't know what the argument was because if anything if that's meant to insinuate even in the slightest that that story is being amplified or that we are hearing more about it because of Russian bots as identified on Hamilton sixty eight that strikes me as a completely ludicrous suggestion and I don't get it because I mean the guy I assume has a pretty good grasp of sort of American current events he he speaks English like an American. And the notion that that is not a grassroots, completely uh, genuine national story, I just think it's silly. I might be misunderstanding him. Maybe he's actually saying that, I don't know what he's saying, because the idea that that these Russian bots are having any influence on the direction of the conversation even seems foolish to me. But again, uh, I haven't been reading up on that story, so perhaps Russian bots have indeed, you know, I don't know, made the made the alt-right rabbit again, but I don't think they need any help when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, the other, Another story I'd like to comment on, and perhaps this will be the last one because I want to keep these, these uh, podcasts to under 10 minutes, ideally. Uh, and it's a pretty funny story. It's, a, it's much lighter than yesterday's uh, cannibal, cannibal couple story. If you listen to the last podcast episode, there, were some, there was an awful incident involving cannibalistic, cannibal married couple in uh, Krasnodar. This one comes from the city of Izhevsk, and it involves uh, <laughs> a court case, a lawsuit brought by Navalny's presidential campaign against the city, which refused to grant the campaign a permit for a demonstration because Navalny's going all around the country giving these uh, campaign speeches and holding these rallies. And in, in uh, Izhevsk, they refused a permit. And so Navalny's campaign took him to court and in the city's defense, its lawyers presented uh, in a packet of evidence this paper or this study, this article by a woman named Oksana Sazonova. And the title of, the, of this article or study, which was published on what looks to be a sort of bizarre website called Newsfront, uh, the title of this article is The Opposition's Unoriginal Invention, 
colon, what does the yellow ducky mean in protests in Russia and beyond? And the whole article is about the, the Navalny's use of the rubber ducky as a symbol. And of course, if you follow Navalny's work, you know that the, the symbol of the rubber ducky is used as, a, as shorthand to refer to a mansion that Dmitry Medvedev, uh, you know, apparently allegedly frequents in the summer. And the place is so luxurious that there's actually a house on the lake or the pond or whatever where the ducks can go in and out and have, you know, nice quarters. And it's, you know, it's just an example of the kind of ludicrous, uh, uh, you know, wealth that, uh, that Navalny says that Russia's elites enjoy. And so it's become this symbol uh, among Navalny's protesters and a sort of joke as well, because it's funny, right? Um, but uh, this, this article by Oksana Sazonova that the, the city of Izhevsk thought uh, reasonable to include in case evidence argues that uh, this is actually part of a international conspiracy engineered by Western intelligence agencies. And the symbol reappears in, you know, in China and Brazil um, in Serbia, and that it's this actually very pernicious uh, iconography that's that what it actually symbolizes and, and incites people to is violent revolution and an overthrow of the state. So just complete nonsense, it, it seems to me. Um, the notion that it, it's, it's just such a pathetic attempt to link Navalny's uh, campaign work and, and anti, anti-corruption activism to a CIA plot. And it's it was it's amusing to me because uh, <laughs> I mean the Atlantic Council uh, you know it, this is a respectable event but generally speaking the Atlantic Council is sort of a fairly hawkish uh, U.S. think tank and you know the, I think NATO co-sponsored this this disinformation event today and so you know generally very hawkish generally very uh, alarmist when it comes to Russian potential to cause problems for American democracy and you know watching that I thought to myself. Boy, like we're getting just we're getting to be just as bad as as uh, all the paranoid folks in Russia who are constantly worrying about CIA uh, interventions. And then you get a story like this with Navalny and the rubber ducks, and you think, no, no, as bad as American hawks are, they're still not quite at, at that level that you find in Russia. Mm-hmm.